Welcome to My Intermission, a podcast conversation about the transitions and changes we face in life and the strategies and approaches that support us in taking the next step in our journey. I'm your host, Colleen Stanovich. I'm joined today by Felicia J. Lee, PhD. She's the founder and president of Campana Leadership Group Incorporated, a consultancy supporting corporations, universities, and nonprofit organizations to respond with clarity, courage, and compassion. Felicia specializes in executive coaching and team leadership development, integrating non-traditional and leading-edge modalities to support her clients to be effective in increasingly complex and diverse relationships and environments. She's in the business of inviting leaders to enhance their relational intelligence with compassionate rigor, and the first relationship to prioritize is with oneself. Thanks so much for joining me today, Felicia, on My Intermission Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you're a coach that supports others in creating change, but can we first start with your own story about a change in your life that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, you know, this change is happening all the time and sort of narrowing it down to one specific situation was actually a little hard. I appreciated the the one prompt you offered uh, in preparation for this uh, conversation here's what I will say. I, I would, I consider the big change moment in my life to be the year of 2010. So in that year, I moved from Texas back to California. I got married. I started a new job. My father passed away. And then my father and, and then my husband in the midst of the recession lost his job that happened within 11 months. So the kind of the, what I would call the avalanche of change, you know, the typical things like a job change or a relationship change. But then I would say getting married. (laughs) I mean, and uh, I was what I would call kind of later in that decision-making from the traditional sense. And then of course the uh, expected, but of course devastating loss for me in terms of my father, uh, those big shock points kind of aggravated or accentuated or amplified, if you will, uh, all the other changes that were going on, you know, that would just be a part of one's natural life experience. Uh, and what I realized was I, I was wholly unprepared mm-hmm. <laughs> for that kind of onslaught. Um, and the strategies that I had used, I think, prior to navigate big changes in my life just didn't hold up anymore. So that was a, that was the pause. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned that the strategies you had before didn't hold up. What were some of the strategies you had before that didn't work for you? And what were some of the new strategies that you emerged with from that time? Yeah, for me personally, the strategies that I had used and relied upon a lot really was just sheer will and sheer power and what I would call uh, physical, mental, emotional, quote unquote, strength. Like if I just kind of put my head down and manage my way through with an action plan, with some kind of strategy, put one foot in front of the other, uh, it'll all re- it'll all work out. It'll resolve. So very little uh, competency to pause and reflect on what's the impact of this change on me emotionally and spiritually and physically and mentally, number one, 
what's the impact of me going through this change on mm. other people, my environment, <laughs> number two, um, and not really looking at the change as a true lesson or an opportunity or a wake up call or whatever the message might be. It was more of an act versus is there something bigger that this change is actually inviting me to step into? Um, so the sheer will stuff was really the strategy of the past. And I, I would say, look, I'm, this isn't about an enlightenment <laughs> conversation. So I still do that. And, and maybe I have a little extra Delta to pause now. Um, and the newer strategies, to be very honest with you, Colleen, uh, and I guess I want to impart this with the listeners of your podcast is, um, you know, everything, the big lessons happen in hindsight. So the strategies that I thought uh, didn't work any longer, the new ones didn't come into play in 2010. They didn't even come into play in 2011. Right. So there's a bit of a, a fumbling your way through, bumbling my way through like, well, this isn't working any longer. Why isn't this working any longer? Going through an emotional roller coaster of anger and resentment and a frustration that the strategies weren't working any longer. Um, and again, not giving myself a whole lot of space to pause and say, what's, what's really going on underneath here, right? Uh, so the new strategies didn't, I would say, come into full view, at least with consciousness, until well after that moment or that year of change happening. So what, what brought them into greater consciousness then? If, if it wasn't, if you weren't aware of them, if you were using them or not during that time of change, what, what helped you kind of concretize them or, or help bring them into consciousness for you? Yeah. Again, in, in my personal experience, it was a forced, uh, this isn't working. I actually have to try something else and I have to keep, it was almost like, you know, I often tell my clients and people that I care about in my life personally, and, and certainly myself, you know, our lives are a laboratory. So how can we experiment with all kinds of formulas? And then a lot of times it's not even a formula that's rational. It's, it's almost more alchemical. So something happens with two or three elements coming together that then creates a brand new opening, so to speak. So, you know, what, what, what made it more concrete was, oh gosh, I think a strategy for me in this moment of change is that I actually have to rest. That is not your typical uh, intellectual, rational, cognitive, here's my advice for you while you're going through a marriage and a new job and your father passing on uh, and moving back to a, you know, a home state and moving, actually we moved mm -hmm. into a new home too. Like it was actually a new place take a break. Why don't you rest? Like, this is not your traditional quote unquote advice. And it was exactly. And the most important thing mm -hmm. that I actually needed, my body had really worn itself out well before 2010 happened. So part of the learning that happened uh, uh, two or, or so years later was when we, when we are stepping into a place where how do I start to really hold and navigate and manage change? When the change hits you, that's not the place, that's not the moment in time where you say, now I'm going to try to figure out the way that I want to manage this. It's 
the preparation is happening before. It's like you don't start to run a marathon on the day of the marathon. You're training months, years before the marathon, slowly but surely, you know, fortifying and strengthening your body and your nutrition and even your mindfulness, even the mental work, right? Having a cohort of people that support you as you're doing the training process. So all of that to me uh, is important as the, as the runway so that when, not, not if, when the change happens, you actually have just a bit more resourcing available mm, to you. I love that idea of having the resources available because I think you're right that when change happens, it's not, it's not something you schedule in for 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, that it, it arrives to you and then you have a chance to respond to it. When, when people mm-hmm. come to you then, because I imagine most people want to work with you as a coach because they're either recognizing a desire to change, which means change is beginning for them, um, or change has happened in some way to them. How do you help them recognize resources and think about how they're going to move through that change process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a great question. I think it's kind of unique for each person, right? So one's capacity, readiness, ability to recognize, to use your language, uh, I'm ready for it even, is actually an interesting question. Uh, And, you know, you're likely familiar with uh, the Bridges model of change and transition. By the time that clients have outreached to me or and they've confirmed that they want to be able to go on a coaching journey, um, the change itself actually more like more often than not has happened. It's their relationship to that change is what they're seeking some support around. And they don't always know what their relationship to that change is in the moment. So there's some time that we spend with actually uh, diving in a little deeper with what's, what is this about for you? And again, moving away from, what you think about it versus how you feel about it and what your body is also sharing with you around your experience with it. So if the change is actually just pure fact, uh, I will be changing, but the job change is happening. I am getting married. I will be married. If that decision or that issue is just a data point, then it's really about how do I feel about the fact that I am going to be going into a new job or I'm going, I'm going to be married to this mm-hmm. human being. And um, the ways in which we don't actually do the interior move first and focus much more on the external, that's the change, I think is the lost opportunity, but it also creates a whole lot of suffering. Because then we start to say this exterior thing. Now I'm, it's just a fact. Now I have to just manage this. And we don't actually pay attention to all the stuff that's going on internally for us uh, that we have to talk about that absolutely influence the way then we actually approach that transition piece of it. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about the lost opportunity of it? Because I think if a change is happening and it wasn't a, a change by choice, like, Oh, I'm getting married or, Oh, I'm moving mm. into a new house. 
Um, but if a, if a change happens, it can feel just really discombobulating and uncomfortable. And similar to your story, I, I think a lot of us want to make a plan and move through it and just get get to the other side, whatever that is. So I lost my job. I want the next job. Um, but what framing it as the opportunity, can you say more about why that's the opportunity in the moment? Yeah, again, really great, uh, great question, Colleen, because it's not going to feel like an opportunity for most people unless it is by choice, like, and they're excited about it, right? So I use that word, you know, it's a very cliched word right now, especially in the coaching and education uh, vernacular. Um, it is the place in my mind where if people can take a moment to be with what's really present for them right there, that's what I call the missed opportunity. So that's the opportunity where if we can actually give ourselves enough time to recognize what is happening to me in the moment. So if somebody is laid off and they have to switch a job, that doesn't feel like a positive opportunity. Before they actually move into a more strategic, here's the process where I will now search for another job, that what, they, what most of us don't do is we don't let the experience of that really run through mm-hmm. our system, right? So oftentimes, you know, it would be pretty, I would say, common if somebody loses their job, they're going to have a feeling of either anger or rage, resentment, frustration, and many times, more honestly, grief and sadness, So to bypass that is a mythology. I'm not going to feel those things. I'm not going to allow that. that, That's literally what is showing up right now. Before I can actually tap into my mental faculties to go get the job, that experience is incredibly important to stay with, at least for a couple of extra beats. Because you're going to carry that, whether it's, rage and frustration or sadness and grief, you're going to carry that if you haven't allowed it to really run through your system and acknowledge it Mm -hmm. in the job search. So the mythology is we think we can bypass our emotional state and we never do. And the emotional state lives in our body. So this is why I have a stomach ache and why the migraines have started to hit up and why the acid reflex is all of a sudden aggravated and why the lower back starts to hurt and why I can't sleep at night. So all of these symptoms, quote unquote, are happening in our soma, which is giving us incredible data and information, which translates into what we language as an emotion, our feelings about it. And we try to swim right through that. And we just carry that with us then as we then go into the, I'm going to figure this out phase, which is more of our mental state. So the opportunity is that in my mind. As you were, as you were talking as an aside, I was thinking about how it's similar in some ways from a, like a a threatening physical encounter that if we're, you know, chased by a mountain lion, and we stop after that when we've reached safety. There's still that adrenaline rush that is with us. And if we try and quickly pivot and, and go to the next thing, that's still with us. And 
I think in the physical state, it's easier to recognize like, oh, I'm shaky. Oh, my heart is still racing. But that emotional piece is really, really hard to recognize the the long-term implications if we don't address that too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so the opportunity is there. How do you help people sink into that opportunity and really listen to themselves? Because I don't, I don't know that, um, that checking in with our bodies is the first place we go. Like I said, I think a lot of us go to the rationale of let's get through this. So how do you help people sink in and listen? Again, it, it is quite, I would say, customized to whoever I am in the space with. But one of the ways in which uh, I have found it to be helpful is to just be in the space with them, to just create the space with them. And sometimes when they, when my clients are really in a kind of a dysregulated state, which all of us, you know, come in and out of throughout the day, um, just being a witness to that without moving into solutioning as a coach is uh, quite magical. You know, so a lot of coaches, uh, and I'm certainly guilty of this myself, a lot of coaches just want to be able to give the next move for the client. Here's something to think about. Here's something you might want to consider, you know, and there have been many moments where, uh, and certainly last year over Zoom, where I just, I'm just there and I don't say very much. Uh, and I kind of let both of us stay in the discomfort of the silence. Yeah, I feel like the opportunity there is is also recognizing the the ways that are foreign to us in terms of communicating and listening that that allowing for silence feels mm-hmm. uncomfortable in, in our busy, loud, noisy world in so many ways. And then that idea of just letting the emotions unfold as they need to, when it's so easy to try and be guarded or we're told to keep it under control. So I appreciate that, that push for the, the undiscovered communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something that there's more that really does happen. And again, this probably sounds cliche for your listeners, it really, there's something that happens in between the more verbal communication. In fact, more happens in between the spaces than is happening in what feels like the obvious interaction. Mm-hmm. And we're, we are rewarded, in, particularly in this country, in the U.S., to occupy space in every realm, physically, verbally, you know, activity wise. And I think COVID was probably an interesting, again, quote unquote, opportunity for us to really examine our relationship Mm -hmm. to that level of activity and what it, what it, what must Mm -hmm. it feel like to me and what relationship do I have to being still and creating space and so many of my clients who, you know, most of them are from the corporate world these days. Uh, it is more uncomfortable for them. It is more disorienting for them to take a breath and to just pause because the strategies of the busyness and the movement 
is the strategy to avoid something else that's going on for them that's deeper. One of the things I appreciate about your work and the way that you support people too is that you really you ask them to step into that some of those feelings of discomfort and their own sense of relationship to something else. So your relationship to silence, your relationship to inactivity, um, and and really asking them to ask questions about themselves and the stories they tell themselves. How do you help people unpack those stories and help them um, recognize some of the stories that may mm-hmm. have been hidden that they've been telling themselves? Well, most people love to talk about themselves, actually. <laughs> You know why? Because most of us don't get asked very often, like genuinely. It's like, Colleen, you know, tell me, like, who are you? Tell me the qualities of who you are and how you've landed where you are at this point in your, in the season of your life. Uh, I don't know. You just hear, most of us just hear, how are you? What are you, what, what are you doing today? So uh, it's an easy job for a coach to just start with, I would say, a genuine, tell me what, I, what you want to tell me about who you are and start wherever you want to start. Maybe when you were five or younger or, or exactly where you are today, invariably, Folks will do the full arc of their lives up until the present moment and even going into, and this is who I'm striving to be, or this is the future that I envision for, for myself. Right. Um, And I think where I try to support folks is to uh, kind of go underneath the waterline. So it's more of just, I get curious about, Oh, you grew up in Oregon. Tell me about that. Oh, you know, it was this kind of childhood and I grew up with this kind of family and this was hard and this was easy. It's like, oh, tell me about that. So it's just, it's really a curiosity fishing expedition. Um, And at some point, pretty quickly, the, the individual or the client starts to listen to their organic intelligence and they take themselves to a place, uh, a moment in time, an experience that that really was a strong imprint for them. And then you go down deeper into that, right? So, you know, people often ask about what's the difference between therapy and coaching, you know, and the quickest answer, this is more complex than this, is therapy often is a bit more uh, sort of, I would say, looking behind the rear of your mirror. It's a little more reflective in the past and how that sort of impacted you. And coaching tends to be a little bit more, and here you are right now, and how do you want to move forward, right? Again, this is a very simplistic response, but I think both are necessary, mm-hmm. actually. Without trying to play a therapist or trying to play a coach, it's more all of that, the full 360 experience of you absolutely informs who you are. Right. And how you're showing up even right now in this very moment. None of that is, in my mind, an accident. And none of it is inconsequential. So can the client or the person start to develop a richer, again, relationship to all the bits and pieces and parts of their life and how that continues to inform the way they show up today 
in ways that support them and nurture them or in ways that actually create a bit of suffering that they don't really understand why or didn't intend. How do you help people make the connection between patterns in their lives that are feeding them forward and patterns in their lives that are maybe destructive or holding, holding them back from where they could go? Um, you know, one of the questions that I, I might offer to a client is like, do you, do you actually see this as a recurring dynamic or theme in your life? And they might say, I don't. It's like, okay, well, what do you, what have you noticed has been this common headline for you? And in the various domains of your life, whether that's in the relationship domain or professional domain or whatever. So I'm really just asking them to sort of connect the dots themselves, but because they'll come oftentimes with a quote unquote, again, using coaching language, excuse me, the presenting issue, you can start there. Usually that issue is not the issue, by the way. (laughs) I have a deathly fear of public speaking might be an issue. It's, Yes, that is happening, that there, there's, a, there's an experience of that. The fear connected to public speaking is a deeper issue, for example, around being seen. Hmm. Right, that could, be, that could be something that one person's like, wow, what is it, where, I have, where have I hidden myself? How have you hidden yourself? Do you see any patterns of that? Where do you hide yourself? What parts do you hide? And why? Mm. And when, when, if you could remember, like, when do you think that started? And how does that show up now? And right now, it, what feels very first and foremost is the public speaking arena. But that's just, mm-hmm. that's just the thing, right? It's like, where was the invisibility? And so when you talk about issues of identity and culture and life experience, let's use, if we use this this theme of invisibility, it's like, oh, as a woman, right? As somebody who had to really learn to live outside the margins, as somebody who tried to step in into the center and did not feel welcomed. Like I figured out the strategy that's helpful for me was actually to be invisible. And now I'm in a part of my life that requires me to be very visible. I have to be on stage speaking as the CEO to a thousand people people, all of a sudden, that past experience doesn't have an impact. Of course it does. And then can you actually somatically feel what that is like to be invisible? What happens in your body when you are visible? And that's the stress. That's the stress that's going on for that client. Like that's the fight or flight. I want to, I want to get out of here because it really feels like I am in danger, right? So to ne- never to negate somebody's literal physiological experience of something is really, really important to be a witness for. Do you find that you sometimes have to be a mirror for people to, to help them see how they are holding it in their bodies? I mean, I, I, I say this as a person who I have done my own somatic work in the last couple of years to be more in touch with how I'm holding my body and what my body is holding. Um, but it, there were a couple of people in my life that, that really were a mirror for me of like, you are, you are physically twisting your body up right mm-hmm. now in this situation. What's going on? And I had no awareness yeah. of that. 
So was that part of it? Do you find that a lot with working with folks too? Is that there, there's some initial stage of just awareness building of, of our body. Yeah. Again, it, and it is uh, that, which is a mirror is neutral. Your interpretation of what you see in that mirror is where it gets complicated. And so as a coach to be really mm-hmm. neutral in, I'm noticing that you're twisting your body to the left, Colleen. And I noticed that yesterday also, and I also noticed it was around this type of topic. Does that feel real and true to you? And then you kind of really, it's really up to the individual to make that connection. I'm only just reflecting back. And it could also be very clearly like my bias. Why did I, why did I notice that? But I didn't notice the fact you actually scratched your head also with your right hand, right? So anything you kind of mirror back, if you can keep it open for the client or the person to do their own excavation around what might that mean for them, or it could mean nothing, by the way, uh, that's often where some really beautiful kind of awareness starts to come, come up. Well, and, and I think tied to that, when, when you were originally talking about some of your, your strategies that you learned as you move through change, just that somatic awareness has helped me in smaller ways in my life that, that they, I begin to be a better mirror for myself. Like, Oh, look, look what you're doing with your body right now. What's going on for you right now. And so I think when I think about building capacity in others to recognize themselves as they step into change or stress, um, that just to have that awareness themselves is huge, but I, I think it often has to start with someone. Yeah, else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it, it's helpful to have somebody that you trust that can be a mirror. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we are in a state of quote unquote stress or anxiety, you know, and, and we are activated our fight, flight and freeze uh, mechanism, my gosh, like it just will take over. You know, you can't rationalize your way out of that. <laughs> you just can't. So how do you actually learn to do some level of self-regulation. That is a competency all of us has the capacity to uh, develop and deepen. Mm-hmm. So can you say a little more about how you would define self-regulation and, and some strategies to begin building that? You know, it's t- most of it, So without going into, uh, and I'm certainly not an expert in this, but, you know, we are either in fight or flight, right? kind of high danger, high stress, danger is a way that we would evolutionarily think about this as a, as a human species. Um, or we're in what we would call the parasympathetic, which is we're in a more restful, relaxed state, right? We are, the human species is one of, I think it's the only species that I'm aware of that I've learned. We don't know how to shake off the fight or flight. So a gazelle gets chased by a lion or a tiger and they get away from that lion or the tiger. If you watch them, they will shake off the adrenaline afterwards and then they're they're going right back to grazing. You see that happen almost immediately. We as human beings don't do that. It got pushed out of them. So wonderful researcher um, by the name of David, I think his name is Bercelli and He was doing some work in, I think, uh, war zones. And at some point, they all had to go under the bunker because, you know, missiles and bombs were getting getting thrown at them. And what he noticed were that the kids were starting to shake in that bunker because they were afraid. They shake, shake, shook, 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 shook. 
And the adults did not. And in fact, was trying to stop the kids from shaking because they thought that the distress that the kids were under, they, if they could just stop shaking, they wouldn't be distressed. But in fact, as young children, they instinctively knew that they were trying to get that energy out of their system. And then they, they could be fine and then go back to playing, so to speak, right? So when we're, when we are in that activated state, whether we're in the parasympathetic or the, or the sympathetic state, our job to be able to recognize when we're in that state is super helpful. And I can ask you, do you know what happens to you when you're under stress? Physiologically, what do you feel? Where is that in your body? Right? So you can respond and go, Oh, the minute I start to get this queasy feeling in my stomach as I know something's up. The minute I can, I have had two nights of really bad sleep, something is up. So being able to a raise the awareness about here are the signals for me that are unique to me that make me understand in I'm not getting chased by a tiger, but mm-hmm. I am under incredible pressure in whatever realm of my life. Hmm. How do I now start to go into the more regulated system? If you look at every wellness magazine, if you look at people magazine, if you turn on, you know, any kind of even kind of local news, simple, simple things like, oh, you should take a bath. Actually, it does help you. You should go connect with a human being. It actually does help you. It regulates your nervous system, right? You should not actually be on the screen. So there are such basic ways to do that, but we don't. I mean, I, I, I have to actually spend a fair amount of time with clients asking them to, let's take a breath. Mm-hmm. In fact, I start every coaching session with breath work, regardless, just to get both the client and my body regulated so that we can be present for one another. It strikes me in everything you're saying that that a lot of your work is helping people unlearn. It's unlearning some of the things we've been taught in society to hold ourselves together, to grin and grin and bear it, to just, you know, use enough grit and will your way through something. Um, but it really is unlearning and and letting go of some of that to get back in touch with ourselves in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that pains me, but it's certainly and it certainly brought a lot of sadness for my in my own life, you know, is sort of the lack of true acceptance and compassion for just who we are holistically. You know, the sheer push away from just kind of the gorgeousness of who we are uh, with all kinds of influences, right? I'm talking cultural influences, societal influences, individual, all, all of life experiences. There's a lot of um, stuff going against us actually to try to remember who are we at our most fundamental in our most present state and uh, the self these are really like my clients are on a societal level, like some of the most quote unquote successful people you can imagine. And there's just a lot of inner critic and lack of self-acceptance and sometimes self-loathing, you know, like just, just a push away and a rejection of 
the whole of them. And we just think we can slice and dice. This is the part I want to keep. And this is the part I don't want to keep. And that I don't want to keep in my mind is not worthy of keeping. And so that conversation is a really important one. And it's often surprising for professionals because they don't actually realize how amplified that volume is and how much they carry that script and that recording every single moment. So I'm not often asking clients to unlearn everything. I am asking clients to be curious about what helped you before that may not help you now. So you don't shame yourself Mm. from the strategies or the experiences or however you managed and navigated before, because the context might have warranted it that then, but it's not the same context now. So a lot of my time is be very grateful that you were really intelligent to the extent that you were at that time and you did what you needed to do to either thrive or survive. Be really grateful for that level of intelligence. And now you can be curious, does that square peg that works so well then, does that fit in the round hole that you're in today? I appreciate that, that it's not, uh, I, I, I retract my language of unlearn because I do appreciate that the gratitude for all the experiences that we've been through and how those have brought us to the present. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, this is my bias calling. I don't think people actually truly shift in the ways that bring a bit more ease and joy and love and uh, peace without there being a hard rub, meaning like there is friction. So, so Mm -hmm. it's often the moments where we feel like we've kind of hit bottom or it's often the moments where it's like this situation is, feels really untenable for me. Like it sucks. The language of that being the opportunity again, can be very frustrating in the moment, but you ask almost anyone and say, wow, you kind of went through trial there. Did you learn and did you evolve and did you develop and did you shift? And, and almost, almost everyone uh, will say, yeah, it was really hard. And I, I actually got something that was very valuable out of that. Yeah. And going back to where we started, when you said you, you learned some new strategies, but they weren't, they weren't part of your consciousness at the time. That mm-hmm. hindsight gives us that clarity around yeah. what we've, yeah. what we've gained out of those. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to bring forth at this point? Um, I guess the only thing uh, I would say is, and this has probably been more over the last you know year and a half that I've been aware of with regard to the work that I do with folks. You know, at the end of the day, I think so much of people's angst, so to speak, is really around relationships with others. And uh, certainly relationship with self. And that's often where it starts. But we are very often broadcasting out to the world. Uh, I feel safe and I want to be in connection with you. Or I don't feel safe and I am disconnecting from you. 
and all the shades of behaviors that are connected to both of those states of being. And so there is this fundamental kind of coming back and doing the ask first for self. It's like, am I safe? Do I feel safe? How do I know that? Am I not safe? Am I under threat? And how do I know that? And in both of those states, what is the impact on me and the people around me? Like that just kind of cuts right to the core. Because when we are safe, we are inviting connection. Mm-hmm. And when we are not safe, we are inviting disconnection. It's happening globally and nationally, locally, and then in your, even in your own sphere. I mean, think about the people that you work mm-hmm. with, that you, your family, yeah. your friendship groups, uh, and with whom mm-hmm. and under what conditions. Does your sense of safety and belonging, connection or disconnection get activated? And why? Well, and as you said, I think COVID has has been a spotlight on a lot of that for a lot of people too, in different ways um, that I think for some people, the safety question or the belonging question might resonate more or less. But I think that um, those questions have definitely surfaced in the last for sure, year. For sure. Yeah. Most, most of my clients uh, when I'm working with teens, you know, it's kind of fundamentally, well, I don't feel safe with this colleague. I don't feel safe with, this Mm -hmm. supervisor. I don't feel safe with that Mm -hmm. direct report or I do. And then here it is. Then this, then the waters are churning. Right. Um, But oftentimes we're looking at that person's fault or problem or issue. If only they would make the change or not versus again, coming back to the interior map of who you are like, wow, why don't I feel this way? What's gotten activated in me? That's where the work gets super exciting and interesting and, uh, you know, for for lack of a better word, very healing. Well, Felicia, I just thank you for taking the time today. Um, I have copious notes here of things that I want to do my own reflection around and some resources to look up. If people want to learn more about your work and the coaching work you do, um, I will we'll link to your website, but is there any other way that people can get in touch with um, you and the work that you do? The website, LinkedIn, you know, the, the two primary modes. People find me when they need to find me and vice versa. So I, I trust in that process. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you again. I appreciate our conversation. Thank you, Colleen. To learn more about Felicia's work, check out campanialeadership.com. And it's also linked in the show notes. I also wanted to take a moment to thank all of you for your support over the last five months. We've grown with over hundreds of followers from all over the world. Don't forget to sign up for updates at myintermission.com for the latest episode alerts, blog posts, and other resources to navigate the many transitions we face in life. Until next week, thanks for joining me on My Intermission.